So the reading is from Matthew 28. You'll find it if you're a follower along on page 1000 of the Church Red Bibles. Matthew 28. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, don't be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. Jesus has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulating among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went into Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We know that all of Scripture is useful, but there are certain passages of Scripture that have such intense weight for the life of the church. If you want to understand some great theology, then unpacking the opening chapter of Ephesians is, is just dense and rich and full of gold. If you want to understand more about what the Holy Spirit is doing, you might go to uh, Romans 12 and unpack it. Uh, Jess did a, a great job last week showing how uh, Psalm 22 can teach us so much. And this passage here uh, in Matthew 28 has so much gold for us. In many ways, there's two great themes in this. I'm going to leave the most important theme about Jesus' resurrection there. And uh, I'm, I'm really going to be speaking about the, the, the last couple of verses on the Great Commission. But the, 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 the passage of, th this passage 
reminds us that it's, it's Jesus' resurrection that becomes the good news on which all our faith is based. When we talk about, and you hear people use this phrase, the gospel, we share the gospel, it's really this good news that Jesus rose from the dead. That's what we put our hope and trust in. That's the faith that we have to share with other people, the, 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 the favour that, that Peter started with. But I, but I want to speak to us about the Great Commission today because, yes, the, the, the resurrection of Jesus is our faith, but the thing that drives the church, that compels the church forward, is the Great Commission. We exist as a church because of the Great Commission. It's probably this, these last couple of verses... In, in Matthew's Gospel are, are probably the, 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 the verses that shape the church from Matthew's account. The Great Commission is the engine that drives the church forward, compels the church forward. Now, I don't know a lot about cars, but I know that if you want to pass a roadworthy certificate, you better have an engine in the car. And, and I remember, uh, I think I wrote in the newsletter, I remember my first car, a little Daihatsu, it was, it was almost like if you pushed too hard on the back seats, it would break. It was such a tiny little car. And I think it had a, a, a one-litre three-speed engine. And I remember trying to go on the motorway at, at, at where everyone else was going at 100 k's and we had a top speed of 80. So I know that even a poor engine drives the car forward. Yes, wheels are important and, and we, could, we could geek out on the whole imagery of a car and the church. And I, and I promise over these next few weeks not to... To, to geek out too much about it. But the Great Commission is the engine that drives the church forward. In, in fact, some theologians say it's not that the church has a mission, it's more that there's a mission and from that mission became a church. It's actually the mission that is more important than the church. And it's not that community isn't important, but the church doesn't exist for community community rises out of this group of people who gather for the mission. The church exists to make disciples and when we make disciples, community comes out of that. It's almost if you say that you could find a group of people and they're not making disciples, then they're not the church. The very nature of making disciples is what makes the church. A group of people coming together for community to make disciples, that's what is the church. And so, <clears throat> when ministry leaders in our contemporary world are studying what happens when a church is in decline, and, and we exist in an era where more churches are dying than ever in history, more churches are closing than ever in history, and, and I've warned us not to focus on the decline, but to focus on where God is moving. But when people are looking at declining and dying churches, what they find is a group of people that have turned inward and looking at themselves rather than going outwards and making disciples. It's like the very fuel that brings life to the church is the making disciples. And when you stop making disciples you start losing the life force of the church. So Matthew 28 is dense with ideas that drives the church forward and there's four key themes that I want to share with us today as we begin our mission for 2023 
Yes, we've got a great legacy as a church. Yes, we've done great ministry in the past. But in the same way that if you're going on a long road trip that you send the car to the mechanic and you fine-tune it for the new... You don't just trust that the last road trip that the car's going to be fine. You check it out and get it ready for the next road trip. And so we've done the Great Commission here well for the last 140 years that we'll celebrate this Wednesday. But if we don't look at it for the period going forward, we're just cruising off our legacy, not doing what God has called us for this season and beyond. So there's four big ideas in this passage. And the first one is to make disciples. Jesus begins His commission with make disciples. And Jesus Himself did this. Jesus Himself made disciples. He role-modelled to His disciples what that looks like. He role-models to generations of the church what that looks like. And Jesus Himself called people to be His disciples. Remember, He called the fishermen to come and follow Him and they dropped their nets and came. He called a tax collector, he called a zealot, he called a range of people to come and follow him, and in the course of his ministry, he made them into his disciples. The making of a disciple was one of Jesus' key activities. Yes, he taught the crowd, and yes, he was known for healing people, but notice in the Scriptures, in the Gospel accounts, when they're talking about the healings, when they're talking about the teaching of the crowd, often the gospel writer will then show a little snippet of what Jesus unpacked, what he just did for the crowd to the disciples, because yes, it was about reaching the crowd, it was about the healings, but he wanted his disciples to know what that was all about so that they could eventually one day go and do it. So making disciples was one of the key activities that Jesus engaged in. And after his resurrection, which is the solid foundation which our faith is built on, Jesus then has this commissioning of his disciples. In Matthew's account, this is his great commission. In Luke's joint account of Acts and uh, the Gospel, Luke actually puts it in Acts 1, and in our third week of this series, we'll actually look at Acts 1, the great commission in Luke's account in Acts But today, we're looking at Jesus giving this commission in Matthew's Gospel. So, Jesus has been making disciples and now, before His ascension, He hands that task to others. He hands the task of making disciples to His disciples. He says to His disciples, I want you to go and make disciples who will make disciples, who will make disciples, who will make disciples. It's not just that His disciples are going to be the only ones that make disciples. No, His disciples are to make disciples who will make disciples and that will keep going on. Jesus calls them to do the same as He did, but not just to do it and then die out, but to pass this on for generations to generations. This mission takes time because making disciples is a process, not a one-time event. It's not like Jesus called them out of fishing and they were instantly a disciple. If we read the Gospel accounts, there are time and times throughout the Gospels where the disciples really don't get it. Even here in Matthew 28, notice that they come to Jesus and it says some worship but some still doubted. 
These guys have been following Jesus, seeing everything of Jesus, not just the filtered uh, snippets that we read in the Gospels. They saw everything that happened, even the bits that don't get into the Gospel accounts, and some of them still doubted. Now, to be fair to them, uh, most scholars, when they actually unpack this text, they actually say it's not that they had a lack of faith, it's that they hesitated. Their doubt is almost kind of like, are they worthy for this commission that Jesus has? It's not that they didn't understand who Jesus was, notice they worshipped Him, and we'll get to that in a minute, but even in the Great Commission, some of Jesus' disciples, and Jesus was the best disciple maker that's ever lived, still wondered whether they were good enough for this mission. So, if, if, if Jesus was not able to, in three years, make a disciple who didn't doubt, then perhaps maybe we should be a little bit fair on ourselves if some of the disciples that we've made are still doubting. So, Craig Blomberg, one of the, the scholars that has, has got a great commentary on, on Matthew's Gospel, he, he actually suggests that we need to be careful with this go, going and making disciples. He said, in our world today, we've actually made too big a deal of the word go to the point where we've actually elevated overseas missionaries to some kind of special status that that's the only thing that makes being a missionary. No doubt going overseas is very important and if people don't go from their location to another location to make disciples, the church won't grow and expand. But actually, Matthew 28 and Craig Blomberg would suggest that it's almost like, in your going about your life, make disciples. And so clearly, some of us are called to be planted here in Hawthorne. So it's not the ones who go overseas that are the special missionaries. All of us are called to make disciples. And in our going about our life, we make disciples. It's the process of living our life where God has planted us that we make disciples. Making disciples is a process and we need to think about stepping people into being a disciple rather than it being a one-time event. And the second idea from this passage is to baptise them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. We need to baptise people into the family of God. We make disciples and then we baptise them into the family of God. Now, I know that people come from a range of backgrounds and, and, and I'm not trying to engage in a theological debate here, I'm just trying, as an Anglican minister leading an Anglican church, just share you, with you briefly what that might mean in Anglican circles. Anglicans teach that baptism is a covenant rather than a, a, a statement of belief. And so, being baptised is about dying to one's own autonomy and belonging to God. We baptise, in the Anglican Church, we baptise babies because they're becoming part of the family of God. We baptise children, we baptise teenagers, we baptise adults because they belong to God as part of His family. This passage actually kind of almost implies that it's the church baptising, it's the church claiming that person as a member of the family of God. It's it, the focus of this passage, make disciples, baptise them the focus is actually on the church claiming that person and baptising him and bringing him into the church, bringing him into the family of God. Now, again, I'm not making a comment about other churches, but there are some churches where the focus is all on what the believer does, that it's the believer that steps forward to be baptised, they're claiming their baptism. 
In Anglican circles, it, the focus is on the church, and in Matthew 28, it's the focus on the church claiming them to be a part of God's family. It's not what the person does, it's about what God does in the sacrament of baptism. And so, the, the Great Commission is claiming these disciples of the, uh, of the family of God. Now, irrespective of which one of those and, and how you uh, take the theology of baptism, notice that all Christians baptise in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit. But you know what the disciples would have been thinking? The disciples would have been thinking, Jesus says, okay, make disciples and then go and baptise them and they go, yeah, 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 we know Jesus, we're going to baptise them in the name of Yahweh. But what has Jesus said? Baptise them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's giving them the Trinity. He says, baptise them in the name of the Father. They get that, Yahweh. They've been worshipping Yahweh for ages. They, they knew that that's what they would have baptised someone into, but worship in, uh, baptised in the name of the Son. Notice in Matthew 28, they actually come to worship Jesus. They don't see Jesus as a, a wise teacher. They don't see him as uh, their leader and their friend. They actually recognise him as the Son of God. The resurrection teaches them that Jesus is the second part of the Trinity, that they didn't really know the Trinity, but they've come to understand it as something important. And so, Jesus is giving them a new name of God, not Yahweh, but Father, Son and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, in which to baptise. And so, for generations since this great commission, the church has baptised not in the name of Yahweh, but in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all of us who have been baptised in whatever denomination or tradition, we've all been baptised in the Trinitarian name of Father, Son and Holy Spirit and that's our sorts of unity. And the Great Commission is a Trinitarian focus. Yes, we're making disciples of Jesus but it's a Trinitarian focus. And so, notice in verse 17 that they worship Jesus and it sets up that He is a member of the Trinity to be worshipped, not just to be a wise teacher. We don't just follow Jesus, we worship Him. We worship Him as part of the Trinity. And the third point is, Jesus says, to teach them to obey. Now, this implies that learning is part of the process of being a disciple. Lifelong learning is part of being a disciple. If you don't know everything about being a disciple yet, that's okay, because Jesus said in the Great Commission, keep teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. This is a, a, a thing that I noticed uh, about discipleship from my years of experience in youth ministry. Because there would be young people who would come to a youth camp and they'd, they'd come into a life-giving relationship with Jesus and they, they would be on fire for God, but they didn't really know much about God. And that was the process of the youth ministry, the young adult ministry and being part of the life of the church was that people would become a disciple and then they would learn everything about what that means. It's not like they have to know everything about being a disciple before they're allowed to become a disciple. No, you become a disciple, you put your faith and trust in Jesus and then it's about learning what that means. Now, I think one of the things that the church has maybe skewed a little bit is that we've taken this, teach them to obey, and we've said, okay, so we're going to teach them about morality. We've said the benchmark of what we're teaching them is morality. But I think what Jesus is actually commissioning here is teach them to obey the command I've given to make disciples. What we're teaching is everything Jesus 
taught through the scriptures of the gospel. But part of that culminates in being a disciple who makes disciples. If we're picking up this great commission to obey what Jesus has commanded, it's not just morality. It's not just a set of rules and regulations. We're obeying Jesus when we love our Father in heaven, we love our neighbour as ourself, and we go out and make disciples. Eugene Peterson, uh, author, says, it's a long obedience in the same direction. Our goal as a disciple is to make other disciples and to continue to learn more about being more like Jesus. And it's a long obedience in the same direction. The direction that we're growing is shaped by our baptism, which is about dying to ourselves and being more obedient to God. But as we get older, as we go through the process of being a disciple, we should be more committed to this mission, not less committed to this mission. I think it's interesting that I sometimes see the young fervour of a young Christian and they don't know everything, but geez, they're committed to the mission of making disciples. It's almost like they can't help themselves telling people about the good news of Jesus. And yet sometimes I kind of think, well, we'll get around to telling them about Jesus. I don't have the same passion and fervour. We need to be passionate and, and have a great fervour for the Great Commission. We should be more committed to the Great Commission the more we've been following Jesus. And the fourth point is to remember the presence of God. The presence of God is what drives all this. Jesus says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. It's a reminder that the presence of God goes with us on this mission. Jesus didn't send us on this mission and say, it's going to be like lambs to the slaughter and good luck because I'm not going to be with you. No, he says, I will go with you. In Matthew's account, he's really saying, I will go with you and, and you will never be alone. But we know from John's gospel that Jesus says, well, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he will be with you. He will be your advocate. So the presence of God that goes with us as we engage in this mission to make disciples, baptise them, to teach them everything, is the Holy Spirit. The very presence of God is what is with us. The presence of God is going to fuel us for this great commission. If, if the great commission is the engine that drives the church forward, then the fuel of that has got to be the Holy Spirit. If we try to do any of this without the presence of God, then we're just being foolish because we're trying to do it in our own effort rather than doing it in the very presence of God. The presence of God is the blessing that we need to continue this mission. As Craig Blomberg uh, points out, Jesus promised to be with us irrespective of our success or failure in making disciples. The presence of God goes with us whether we're successful or whether we're failing with the mission of making disciples. So I wonder what this looks like in Hawthorne and I wonder what it looks like in 2023 because you know what this looks like in Hawthorne in 1990 is almost light years away from what it looks like in 2020. But I think in some ways we need to increase our commitment to the Great Commission. We need to increase our desire to make disciples. Every generation needs to retune the engine so that we're on fire to make disciples of Jesus. Just as we check the engine before a long road trip, every single year the church needs to check its commitment to the Great Commission. Every single year, every single season of ministry we need to check what we're doing 
and, and measure it against the idea that we need to be seeing new disciples made. We should expect that as we live out the Great Commission and it compels us forward, we should be seeing more disciples. We should be seeing more people coming to faith. We should be expecting that the Great Commission will help us move the church forward and there'll be signs of that forward momentum. Now, I'm, I'm not naive. I know that 2020, we probably saw more negative momentum because of the COVID. But as I gathered with a group of ministers on Thursday to look at where we're going as ministers, clergy in Melbourne, and each of us looked at our church and how we collectively are living out the Great Commission. One of the interesting things is 2020, we might identify as a year of negative momentum. But if you look at what the church has done since 2020, we actually learnt so much from that, that kind of re-sparked the Great Commission in the church. We're live streaming today something that churches thought was impossible in 2019. No one ever thought that the average church would live stream. I heard a great story from a minister who was sharing and he said that there were, there were let's call the guy Frank. Frank was good friends with some people who were Christians at medicine, medis, med, uh, medical school. And for 20 years, his friends were praying that he would become a Christian. That they, that they were praying that he would pick up the faith. And uh, one of his good friends had been praying consistently for Frank. Anyway, the COVID hit and uh, Frank just sort of thought life is in turmoil. So he started checking out a local church. Little did he know that the church that he was checking out online was the church that his good friend who'd been praying for. Frank attended church online for two years without going into the building. His friend who'd been praying for him for two years had no idea that they were attending the same church. Frank attended the Alpha course online, so his friend didn't know that he'd done the Alpha course and became a Christian. He turned up for Christmas Eve service in 2022, and his mate who'd been praying for him for 20 years said, oh, it's so great to see you. Thanks for coming to church. And, and Frank says, I've been coming to this church for two years. We should expect more and more stories like that. Stories that aren't stock standard stories and maybe the stories that we grew up of someone who was, you know, came to Christ at 16 in a youth camp and has, has been in the church ever since. We should be praying fervently for people who we don't know how they're ever going to be a disciple of Jesus, but keep praying that they would come to faith in Jesus. We should expect more people to be baptised we should be expecting more people to be taught the gospel. We should be expecting our own hearts to be coming alive with the desire to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And I don't know about you, but what drives me is that I want to see a move of God this year and beyond where more people start to come to put their faith and trust in Jesus here at St. Columns. I don't want it just to be other churches. Although I want other churches to have success, but I want to see that gospel fruit here. I'm praying and I'm expecting God to work. What that looks like, I don't know. I can't guarantee you as, as the leader here at St. Collins what that will look like. But I want all of us to just have our hearts come alive with a desire to see more people come to put their faith in Jesus. So let me pray for us. Gracious God, we pray that you would fill our hearts with the joy of the Great Commission, that we wouldn't see it as a burden, 
but we would see it as core to who we are and who we are in following you. But we also know, Lord, that we do it in your presence, fueled by the Holy Spirit. So we say, come, Holy Spirit. We also thank you that this good news of the resurrection is our source of faith. And it's not our own efforts, but is the faith in the resurrection that is the good news that we share. And so we pray, Lord, that we would see more fruit, more fruit for the kingdom and more fruit for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name, we'll invite the musicians to come forward.